so ruffling the feathers is the autistic rite of passage. <laughs> it really is. I don't know how many birds we go through, but we are always ruffling feathers, man. I was always called an egg breaker. My mom would be like, you always rock the boat. You're such an ah. egg breaker. I'm like, look, you got to break some eggs to make omelets. Episode seven, Apple is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Well, welcome back to the Autistic Culture Podcast, the show where we revel in all things autistic and where today we honor our ancestors. Are you ready for this one, Matt? I am. I can't wait to dig in. I know you're a PC. You got, uh, I'm a Mac, you're a PC, but we're going to talk about how Apple is autistic. Do you embrace any of the Apple products? I am a proud iPhone user, oh. and because you can transfer information from iPhone to iPhone, I don't think that I will ever, ever switch. Okay, I'm very surprised. I, I took you for an Android, and I'm I'm very happy you <laughs> at least have some airdrop action in your life. So Exactly. I, I, I debated on the title for this episode because I wanted to say Steve Jobs is autistic, but really what I know for sure is that the way Apple evolved as a company, as a culture, and the magical products they make is 100% representative of our culture. Temple Grandin did a speech you could find all over the internet diagnosing Steve Jobs very confidently. Um, <laughs> so I will go with Temple Grandin says Steve Jobs is autistic. And I do think there is lots of evidence to that fact. So, but I definitely know that his autistic nature, autistic tendencies are definitely woven into the fabric of uh, Apple, which is obviously a company that's had a huge impact globally and in the world. So I thought it would be fun to explore. And obviously we got to start with the elephant in the room, which is Steve Jobs' iconic outfit. So we all know the Steve Jobs uniform, right? Plain black cotton mock turtleneck, Levi's, 501s, New Balance sneakers. 
So, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> a, a man after my own heart. I was going to say, tell us why yeah. this is a great example of autistic culture through fashion. Uh, from from even my own example, I, I only own like 16 black t-shirts and uh, a few pairs of uh, khakis and a pair a few pairs of khaki shorts but that's the thing we dress for comfort we dress for to reduce process complexity it's a lot easier for us to just have the outfit our uh, it's a lot easier to have a wardrobe that looks like a cartoon character that has the same outfit every single day because that's one less decision we have to make that's the thing that einstein also superhero uniforms we'll take a superhero uniform exactly exactly batman doesn't have to worry about which cape to wear correct and yeah, and that's that's a big thing because this is this goes back to like even Einstein because he realized that uh, he didn't have to deal with decision fatigue if he didn't have to start off the day by choosing which shirt to wear, which pants, which goes with which. Because that's the thing about fashion. There's a lot of complexity that goes with this shirt matches this pants matches this shoes. So it's not just a matter of getting you know clothes out. You have to coordinate. And that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And then it's also like, what are you, uh, what are you dressed to do? What are you prepared to do? And if I'm in a certain outfit and I'm not comfortable and I'm having sensory overstimulation, I'm not going to be great at coaching someone on their book. It doesn't seem like it's connected because here's my brain. I can just talk to you about your book. But if I am thinking about the inseam of my socks, which I think about a lot, with the wrong pair of socks, then it's just there's going to be less processing power going towards your book and how we make it a success. So if we've already eliminated that, if we know our New Balance sneakers are comfy every time, then we have eliminated that because we've got to solve all of the world's computing problems. So I do think all that's true for Steve Jobs. But this story has an interesting twist. Ooh. This uh, A lot of what I'm sharing is from Walter Isaacson's um, uh, Steve Jobs bio. It was an authorized bio. It was, I think, a million pages. It was about 750 pages. Uh, same as War and Peace. And uh, I'll link that in the show notes. <laughs> but here's the deal. So in the 80s, Steve Jobs goes to Japan he meets uh, Akito Morita, Sony's chairman. Uh, Akio takes him to uh, one of Sony's factories, and everybody in the factory is wearing a uniform. And so Steve Jobs was like, hey, how come everybody's in a uniform? And he said, well, after the war, the employees didn't have clothes. So your job would provide clothes. And they obviously weren't going to customize outfits for people. So they provided these uniforms and they had sort of a company style and a company feel. And when he was uh, being interviewed for his bio, Steve Jobs said, I really wanted that sort of bonding for Apple. And I do think he's also thinking everyone will be comfortable. Everyone will be able to do their job. No one's going to be distracted by what other people are wearing or what they're wearing. And in Japan, uh, actually, this guy died this year. He's an amazing fashion designer. But he meets Issei Miyake and he had designed the uniform for Sony and he said, hey, can you design a uniform for Apple? So Steve Jobs comes back to Apple and he's like, great news, everyone. We're going to wear uniforms. And there is a total revolt 
There is a complete and utter revolt. The employees, everyone's like, no way. Steve drops it. But Miyaki continued to send him, when he died, he had hundreds of these black turtlenecks, which was what he had picked for the uniform. So here is an interesting theory. Uh, You know, Steve Jobs was highly involved in the marketing and there was that I'm a Mac, I'm a PC ad. The PC guy is in a button up shirt. The Mac guy is in a T-shirt. There is also a thing about buttons with the Apple mouse, which here's my oh, yes. here's my Apple mouse. No buttons. Mice used to have buttons, but Apple mice don't have buttons. So there is something called computophobia. Computophobia. This is the hmm. fear of buttons. So I am going to tell you, I think Steve Jobs' outfit is all the things you said that we know about autistic fashion, but I think there is a bit of compunophobia in there. I think Steve Jobs is one of 75,000 people alive today, um, although he's not alive, who have compunophobia. This that is fascinating, right? So this whole phobias, which is part of um, like aversions, there is a thing in autistic culture where um, sometimes it shows up with food aversions. But he, this dude, hated buttons, and he was wow, right. I think there can be a little autistic crossover with like fears. Yes. Fears and phobias. What do you got? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about the design aesthetic about everything Apple and how how sleek everything is and how polished and how button free everything is. Seamless socks, baby. Seamless socks. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is fascinating. So uh, it was in the year 2000 at Apple Markets, the button free pro mouse. And uh, the designer, a guy named Abraham Freak, said uh, to Cult of Mac News that it was actually an accident. So Steve Jobs walking by Freak's desk and there was a prototype and the buttons hadn't been installed. And Steve Jobs says to him, that's genius. We don't want it to have any buttons. So Farik and his team are like, how the fuck are we going to make a mouse without buttons? And they, after Steve Jobs walked by, they come up with, here's how we're going to come up with a button-free design. That is fascinating. Uh-huh. Oh, that fits so well. I know. That's wow. why I, that was where the uh, episode got its title. I'm like, oh, it's all of Apple that's autistic. It's not just Steve. And Steve, uh, he's one of the design holders of the original Macintosh. And there's been a million books and movies about creating the Mac in 1984 in his parents' garage. But he micromanaged the hell out of this project. So, oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to give you, we're going to let you practice your design aesthetic uh, vocabulary here. This is a Steve Jobs quote. I'm going to have you read this. He is actually talking about the curved edge connecting the um, computer side. So here's what he said. It's way too boxy. It's got to be more curvaceous. The radius of the first chamber needs to be bigger, and I don't like the size of the bevel, but it's a start. 
<laughs> right. So I don't wow. know what a chamfer needs to be bigger, and I don't oh, like chamfer. this. Yeah. Chamfer. Oh, I thought that was a typo. No. Oh, what is a chamfer? I don't know, but we're learning about industrial design. And wow. how did Steve Jobs learn about industrial design? Because he was not a designer. The two designers, Jerry Manick and Terry Oyoma, are like actually industrial designers. And this asshole, like big dick swinging Silicon Valley guy comes in and he's talking chamfers and bevels and radiuses and they're like dude what the fuck you are not an industrial designer but what had steve jobs done he went to the library and read every single motherfucking book on industrial design of course <laughs> he's like i'm gonna be the ceo of this company i'm gonna know everything about industrial design this is the way so it is hard to argue with an autistic who is well read and they like they were like, no, it's fine. The bevel's fine. Just chill, dude. He did not chill. So they came back. They had <laughs> a brand new, like they had to make a plaster model. They couldn't use any molds. They couldn't use anything on the market. If you ever wonder why apples were so much more expensive, it's because they had to invent everything because Steve Jobs was like potentially obsessive. And a little bit, yeah little bit obsessive. And um, wh what they said is they would come back week after week and keep showing Steve their stuff. And they said by the fourth model, we couldn't distinguish the changes. We couldn't tell the fourth model from the third. But Steve, in a second, he was critical. He was decisive. He paid attention to every detail, even details we couldn't perceive he would be like, yes, no, in a second, which literally describes all my employees' experiences with me, I'm pretty sure. They're like, it's the same. What are you seeing? So uh, what, do you, what do you think that, uh, why could he see stuff that actual industrial designers who had studied for years couldn't see? That's the thing about us. Uh, with we have a, this hyper acuity, uh, unless we're in our monotropic focus, in which case we tune out the entire world. Right. But because of our uh, our sensory stuff, we are hyper uh, acutely aware of lots and lots of changes, lots of details, and especially if something bugs us, we can't not see it. It's and, so annoying because yeah. these guys had degrees. Like they were hired by him. They were like they had done all the work. And now he's like making changes they can't even see. He asked to see 2,000 gray paint chips. Wow. 2,000 gray paint chips. He still wasn't happy. And he's like, we need to make our own gray. And then he starts researching color theory, which, by the way, I was doing yesterday with my sister. I was like, I As need one to, does. oh, my God, a cadmium colors. I got totally obsessed. I was like, I need to be a full time color theorist. I don't know what that <laughs> means. This is all I need to do. But Steve Jobs got like a degree in the color gray. Two thousand wow. shades. They didn't end up designing their own. But what happened Somewhere around, I don't know, 1,999, 1,999 shades of gray is um, <laughs> in a meeting. 
he bursts into tears. And it was not the only time. Hysterically crying, couldn't get a hold of himself. We have to get this gray right. And he's wow. beside himself. What do we call that? that? That's intense emotion, having a meltdown. That would be an autistic meltdown. Very and, much so. And these guys are like, this guy's an asshole. I'm not sure if I want to work here. Uh, there's no difference between at least 900 of these grays. What is he obsessing about? Can you, I want to talk about how this feels to me, but can you talk about how it feels to you when you can see the difference in the grays? Like, uh, that's, and uh, that's the autistic experience because, because we live in a very, very hypersensitive world because we know what we want because we can see these things. It's, it's like trying to communicate to people who can't see, can't hear, don't understand. And the frustration with trying to communicate that to people who just don't get it. And the loneliness. It's soul crushing. The yes, loneliness. exactly. Yes. Because it's so obvious. Okay, this is how I explain it to holistic employees that work for me. Because they will present something they've worked really hard on and I will do the same thing. I'm like crying, I'm screaming, it's the wrong color gray. Like I totally feel this. So I say, imagine you're looking at a table and on the table, there's a row of forks, fork, 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 fork. And in the middle of the row of forks, there's a stuffed flamingo. And let's say it's a beanie baby. <laughs> so you got fork, 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 stuffed flamingo, beanie baby, fork, fork, fork. And people are coming for dinner. Can you sort of feel how that stuffed flamingo beanie baby, let's say the dog put it on the table, would be like annoying. Your brain would just like, I got to move this flamingo. It doesn't go with the forks. It doesn't match. And that pattern is very obvious to everyone, right? And you can sort of feel energetically, like, I got to get this beanie baby off the table. It's dirty. It doesn't match the forks. No one's going to want to eat if there's a beanie baby on the table. That is what the wrong shade of gray looks like to me. And I could see it as fast as you could see the flamingo in a sea of forks. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you say to, I don't know, your kid's helping you set the table and you say to your kid, hey, can you take the beanie baby off the table? And the kid doesn't take the beanie baby off the table. Well, that's fucking annoying. And then they say they don't see a beanie baby. And now you're like, what the fuck is wrong with the beanie baby is there? It's the bright pink, pink flamingo thing. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine it, how like physically intense and frustrating that is when you're like, you you don't see the beanie baby? Yeah, yeah. Are you punking you, me? <laughs> you're living in a world that where you think that you're going insane because you can clearly see a difference. You can quantify the difference, but other people just don't understand it. Right. So a lot of times they'll say autistic people have a, a co-occurrence with OCD. Yes. And I don't I don't even know if I mean, maybe I'm OCD. I don't know. I don't do the counting thing. I don't know if that's OCD. I just feel like it's fucking obvious. Get the beanie baby off the table. That's the wrong that's, color gray. It doesn't feel like OCD. Which is ironic in that the, the OCD label comes from holistics who can't tell the difference between OCD and autistic uh, <laughs> perfectionism. That's exactly because that's the thing. They don't understand how our brains work. So therefore, they use the labels that they have 
in order to try to, mm. you know, describe the attributes that they see. But again, uh, it's like autistic anxiety. It's like when they think that autistic people have psychoses because we live in fictional worlds and would prefer to talk about fictional characters than, I don't know, a Kardashian or something. Yep. It's they they don't have the vocabulary, they don't have the experience, they don't have the understanding. So therefore they they go to the closest equivalent, which again in this case is the completely wrong gray. And you listen, I want to be fair here. You say neurotypicals or allistics do this, but I will tell you autistics we do this to ourselves. Often. Right? You talked about somebody who uh, diagnosed himself as bipolar. Because he will tip it. Right. And so it's like we I'll be like, oh, I must be crazy. And I'm sure I can't speak for what I'm sure about Steve Jobs. But I imagine like me, Steve Jobs had these moments where he's like, am I am I being too perfectionistic? But it doesn't feel perfectionistic to move, remove the dirty pink flamingo beanie baby from the table. Yeah. That, I don't feel like I'm being a perfectionist. I feel like that's dumb. It doesn't go there. Steve Jobs, it's rumored that he would inspect the floors of factories to find dust or what people in the factories would call harmless specks, like harmless specks of dust. And they use this as evidence that he, uh, we're, we're going to hear more about this, but that he was an asshole. Like he'd come in and he'd say, you guys have bad, you know, this is poor conduct. You're not cleaning the floors. Dust is getting in the computers. You don't have discipline. Like everybody's going to be fired. They really hated him. But my sense is they didn't probably look like harmless specs to him. They probably look like we're spending a lot of money here and this is going to cost the company's bottom line. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. This is, okay, so this is a big reason why uh, allistics have a very difficult time diagnosing autism. Because, again, when they when they think of somebody that has OCD or is just an asshole, they think, oh, yeah, that person is autistic because they're an asshole. And, no, they, they just might be a run-of-the-mill asshole. But that's the thing. We we see a difference. We understand the difference. We There's a reason behind this for us. And, and it's part they, of what makes autistic culture have some of the greatest contributions to humanity, like the touchless, the, the magic touchscreens of Apple. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because you can't half-ass uh, revolution and changing <laughs> the world. That's a good quote. You can't half-ass a revolution. Matt yeah, Lowry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this thing happened with um, the, the CD-ROMs in one of the Apple Macs. He saw it right before it was going to production. It's too late to change. It's so obviously wrong. There's like a knot in his stomach. He's horrified. He's embarrassed. He's screaming and crying in this meeting. And, you know, HR is basically writing up the CEO because he's having this fit. But 
once we see it in autistic culture, it's very hard to live with something that you know is so obviously wrong. And by the way, later, most people figure out it was wrong. We are usually yeah. right. <laughs> Not yeah, always, yeah. but so you call it a meltdown. I call it sanity. You call it OCD. I call it attention to detail. Like you, tomato, you say tomato, I say tomato. Um, but the thing I think that shapes autistic culture is getting mocked or misdiagnosed for things that are part of our culture can really get in our heads. It can make people play smaller, to not take big risks. It can help other people become more resilient and take even bigger risks. And we see Pokemon and the Star Wars franchise and Apple computers that come out of that. But it's it's um, I think that's a big part of shaping who we are. Like we, if we talk about Jewish culture and how the Holocaust and anti-Semitism has shaped Jewish culture, like this being falsely accused. I really related to all the Kafka books and plays growing up because I'm like, this feels like my life. Like Kafka, are you reading my diary? Yeah. And that's the thing. We live in a society that wants to, quote, cure us because we are different and therefore they assume that we are wrong. They assume that they are the the superior ones because there's more of them and therefore we must be the ones to change to accommodate the world. And this is the thing that causes the what we call internalized ableism where we blame ourselves for being different, where we question our own sanity, where we you know, we say, "Oh yes, I I am an asshole because everyone tells me that I'm an asshole." Mhm. Yep. Exactly. Um, I also had a little personal revelation in this. One of the ways that they would give specific evidence that Steve Jobs was for sure an asshole was that he would get involved with where the screws were on the laptop case. And I'm like, yeah, of course he would. Growing up, there was this legend about my dad. I think we've talked about my dad before. I'm not sure. But he was an entrepreneur. He's in the Hot Rod Hall of Fame. His Neat. special interest from a very young age was 1927 to 1934 Fords. Um, so if you ever <laughs> need to know anything about them, that's my guy. And um, like my dad was never diagnosed with autism. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with this now. We obviously know it's highly genetic. But one of the legendary stories of how my dad was an asshole was that he would never let a car go out without all the screws being aligned in the same direction. So if you put your (laughs) screwdriver in... They were all lined up and they looked like a neat line. And that was like, what a fucking asshole. He won't even let a car leave here unless every single screw is lined up. In my own house, uh, on all of the uh, electrical fixtures, all the, the, the light plates, all of the screws in the entire house are aligned yeah, straight are. up and down. Yeah, because they are. It, it has <laughs> to be that way. That's because uh, that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. It's, it, it, it looks neat. It, it looks organized. It looks messy and chaotic otherwise. Right. And this is the thing about us. We cannot deal with the chaos. The chaos is overwhelming. This is bringing order to the chaos. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like, 
number one, Steve Jobs obviously wanted the product to be as good as possible. But number two, and maybe this is us imposing our culture on others, but it's like, how can you think? How can you think with all those screws just randomly in random places? Like you will be a better employee if your laptop has screws going in the right direction. And I know that's not true for everyone, but it's certainly I can't work in a messy room. I Like the screws not being aligned, my brain would know that and distract me uh, from what I was working on for my monotropism. So and I'm looking at my iPhone and noticing that there are no visible screws on this. No, there are. Fascinating. He didn't want you to be distracted from important, you know, text messages from people you love. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but what people called him is a name that I get called. In fact, one of my best friends, Marianne, called me this name recently. And I wore it as a badge of honor, but they called Steve Jobs Ruthless. Ah. I've been called militant. Ah, militant. I will be militant and ruthless. I was like, you know what? I am. I'm like, I'm not even going to fight you on that because I'm trying to make the world make sense. I want it to be more predictable and more comfortable. I know it's not going to be most of the time. And it's not that I'm trying to control the world just to control. Like I'm, I'm not being an asshole. I've got like jingle jangly nerves going on and I'm trying to get shit done. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a be ruthless. I'll even yeah, be you're militant. processing you're processing far more data than the people around you. You're you're sensitive to far more things than the people around you, and therefore there is a lot more that will irritate you. And if you are going if you're the one in charge of the product, if you're the one in charge of the project, you're going to want to make it to your standards. Right. So this gets turned into, uh, and I definitely got this badge, doesn't play well in the sandbox. Yeah. I was fired from pretty much every job I ever had. And the reason I would keep my jobs, usually it was a year to 18 months that I could keep a job. And I would get incredible results. I was always their most productive employee. I made the company millions and millions of dollars. But eventually they would say, even though you've made us millions of dollars, we have to let you go because you don't play well in the sandbox. Yeah. And so I guess the alternative is like what I started talking about was how it's two sides of the same coin. So you want me to be brilliant. And then the last job I got fired from, they like wanted me to sign an agreement that I would like be nice to everyone all the time. Oh, my God. But like, please be brilliant and also be a totally different person. I'm like, they That's are the, the same thing. Yeah. Sorry, a cat just walked by and just looked me straight in the eye as though it had an important message for me. Squirrel. (laughs) But yes, this is the thing. So uh, employers want the the autistic brilliance, but they also don't want to accommodate that. They they want our strengths, but don't want to accommodate the fact that we communicate differently than allistics. And that's the thing about neurotypical brains, right? That's the thing about allistic brains and the synaptic pruning, because they they regularly use allistic socialization methods. This is why their brains keep those synapses. This is the reason why allistic communicate and socialize in the way that they do and why they find us 
strange and off-putting and in the uncanny valley when we don't do things like they do. Right. But that that's that's the double standard of it all. We change the world. We can do some amazing things. We're just going to do it differently. And the controlling thing, I think there's a deeper sadness to it for me yes. because if I'm with someone I trust, I'm actually, I don't want to be controlling. You just didn't see. This is so obvious. How did you not see it? So, you know, like when we talked on industrial light and magic, if everyone's focused on the same problem, if everyone's getting it, if everyone's seeing the harmless specks on the floor as not harmless, but detrimental to our project, I'm a back writer. I don't need to point it out as long as you're seeing it. But if you're right. missing it, well, I'm not going to not say something and ruin the project. And that contributes to autistic burnout. If we have to be the hypervigilant ones at all times, it falls upon us to make sure that things are done right. And again, if someone else was able to take over, it would protect us. It would uh, reduce our cortisol levels. It would reduce our stress levels. But when we have to be that responsible and on all the times, that kills us. Yeah. So this is what it looks like through a neurotypical lens. Put your neurotypical accent on, Matt. This is Uh from blogger Annette Galewood. Here's what she said. Unaware of people's feelings, John frequently stomped on them. Brutally honest, he lacked the filter that restrains people from venting wounding thoughts. Ah! Oh, Annette, fuck off. That's yes, my two exactly. cents. <laughs> Seriously, that, that's the thing. Ah, they just, and, and so this is, again, the double standard when it comes to emotions, because undoubtedly, People stomped on his emotions a lot because we have our emotions stomped on every single day, especially when people say, can't you be more like us? Mm-hmm. Every single day we are dealing with a bombardment of judgment and criticism and, and and need to accommodate other people. But if we come out of line in just a little bit, again, we're the assholes. Yep. So good old Abraham Farik, who didn't even want to make the buttonless mouse, a few years later comes out with a brand new multi-button mouse (laughs) and he shows it to Steve. He's like, good news. I've added buttons. And Steve says to him, what morons have you working on this project? Which is a quote I could have said that would have gotten me sent to HR because I definitely called many people names at work for like literally you're you know, Apple is famous for our no button mice and you're working on a multi button mouse. I must go kill all my employees now. So he gets called into the teacher's office for this. And like I was the principal's office, like I was many times. And um, they fired him. They literally fired Steve Jobs from his own company. I know everyone knows this, but I just want to put it in the context of autistic culture. Like what he got fired over wasn't just the button mouse, but it's like you can't talk to people like that. And um, the Corporate Governance Institute, this is their official account of what happened. So this is from the Corporate Governance Institute. 
Jobs clashed with the board after two products, the Lisa and the Macintosh, failed to live up to sales expectations. As a result, Jobs was moved away from the Macintosh product and was furious about the change, taking his case straight to Apple's board of directors. This really ruffled the feathers of the people on the board. Shortly after the attempted corporate power play, one of two things happened. Jobs was either fired by the board of directors immediately after his rant or quit shortly after. The result was the same. Jobs was out. I get so ruffling the feathers is the 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 autistic rite of passage. <laughs> it really is. There, are, I don't know how many birds we go through, but we are always ruffling feathers, man. I, I, I was always called uh, uh, an egg breaker. My mom would be like, uh, "You always rock the boat. You're such an egg breaker." I'm like, "Look, you gotta break some eggs to make omelets." I don't right. know. Right. Exactly. So. Uh, um, Oh, that's horrifying. So they, uh, you know, they bite the hand that feeds is the phrase that's coming into my head now. Like, I get it. He made you mad. He had a little autistic meltdown. But I am guessing that autistic meltdown was like, if you guys keep doing stupid shit like adding buttons to the mice, we will be competing with PCs and we will fucking lose. Do you not understand our differentiators? Are you all fucking morons? Yeah. And he was out for 11 years and it did not go well for our friends (laughs) at Apple. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's the thing that kills me because once again... Allistics want ingenuity. Allistics want thinking different, but they don't want to change anything. Right. They, that, that's the thing that kills me. They, their version of success is, oh, you get along well with everyone and don't do anything differently. Uh, right. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it for the end because it is the best part. But um, ah. uh, one of our taglines is great minds think different. And it was yes. definitely inspired by the Think Different campaign. But before we get to thinking different, I want to talk about another confusion, which is so Steve Jobs is militant. He's ruthless. He's unreasonable. He's a feather ruffler. Uh, he's an egg breaker. And many people called him a sociopath or a narcissist. Oh, that's those are two frequent labels thrown on autistic people. And also, conversely, I, I've met a lot of people who have been diagnosed autistic because they're sociopaths or right. narcissists. Right. Oh, and it and it flips. So th- I, I'm curious about your distinction, but this is how I because um, I have been accused of being a narcissist. Yeah. And even by people that I love. And so I really wanted to understand what is the difference. And what I see with Steve Jobs, and I will also see with me, is that narcissists are actually, first of all, people like narcissists. People don't fucking like me. I have a 13% agreeableness on the ocean score. You walk into a room, I am not the one you like. I promise you, you love the fucking narcissist. He just told you you look beautiful. I I get accused of being manipulative. This was my entire divorce trial um, of being all the time. I am the least manipulative. I so suck at being manipulative. I am like amazing at telling the truth and providing a whole lot of facts that might make you and your holistic brain feel overwhelmed. But that is not being 
manipulative. When a narc wants something from you, they can act in a certain way to get it. They can turn it on and turn it off. Yes. I cannot turn off my operating system. I am not being malicious or calculating. I'm literally just saying, hey, if you want these computers to be good, let's line up the let's line up the screws. And that's the directness. We are direct in all this. And we say it needs to be done this way. A, A manipulation is where you make someone feel bad or or try to convince them that it's their idea in order to do all this stuff instead of just taking the direct route. The manipulation has to do this convoluted dance. That's not how we run. I couldn't even do it. If you gave me a script, you could literally like have an earpiece in my ear and tell me what to say and I would fail miserably. Yeah. And if you tell me, and I obviously can't speak for all of autistic culture here, but if you tell me specifically what I did to hurt you, I won't necessarily not do it again, but I will be sad and remorseful. I am not trying to cause harm. Quite the opposite. I have a strong sense of justice and fairness. And if I felt like I harmed you and it was my fault, I will take full responsibility I will either fix it or tell you why I'm not going to. I will be incredibly straightforward. I think I shared a story here of um, an employee who I let go because I'm like, oh, I don't have that job anymore. And then she was saying to people, Angela must have, I must have pissed off Angela. No, I promise you, if you piss me off, it's going to be very boring. I'm going to call you and say, hey, you pissed me off. It's very straightforward. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No mind games. We don't do the mind games. Right. And, and, that, and that's, yeah. that is with the uh, sociopath or with a narcissist. They are harming someone. There is intent. I am not saying I don't do harm. I know, like, you know, if you call someone a moron for adding buttons to your mouse, they're, they're going to feel hurt. I am not trying to absolve myself of that. But I will say I'm not doing it to hurt you. The bird will be angry if the feathers are ruffled. <laughs> but and that's the thing about you know the narcissist because the narcissists require outside validation to stroke their own ego. That's the the whole thing about us being autistic. The root word of autistic is, is aut, auto. We are a very autonomous. We don't rely on validation. We like validation from outside people, but we don't base our lives around it. We don't manipulate people in order to stroke our egos. We say, ah, oh, yes, I have come to the conclusion that this is right and I will be doing this. And if people praise us, that's great. We love the praise, but we're not doing it for the sake of other people praising us. Yeah, we're just hyper focused and we have our intense worlds and we're we see things like a line of forks with a flamingo in the middle and we're like, move the flamingo. Yes, exactly. That is the opposite of being manipulative. It's the opposite of some of the creative tools that narcissists can use. I'm trying to be helpful. There's a flamingo on the table. I don't know why you can't see it. I'm going to move it. Please send flowers and say thank you. Don't fucking fire me for it. Right. 
So, and he, like, if he were actually a good manipulator, he definitely wouldn't have been shouting and melting down in a meeting unless he thought that was going to get him to keep his job. Exactly. You heard the two views from the corporate governance board. Either he said, fuck you, I quit, or he finished his rant and the board said, let's fire him. It's the same thing. It's the exact opposite. He clearly wasn't trying to say he's like, good, y'all deal with your flamingo and fork mess without me. Exactly. So um, (sighs) we are not narcissistic. Our culture is not narcissistic. I think we are, as a culture, incredibly generous, incredibly helpful, and we are happy to share the details that we can see that you aren't. Please say thank you. (laughs) We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Uh, there's 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 evidence to suggest that Jerry Seinfeld could potentially be one of us. And the soup Nazi, very, very clearly autistic and say, oh, yes, we are. I expect perfection. I am perfect. You come here for my perfection. I expect perfection from my customers. Otherwise, and, yes. no soup for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So much autistic traits in that show. It's. Oh, we're gonna, the, I can't wait is, for our Seinfeld episode. You guys comment on this one for episodes you want to hear. Seinfeld is definitely coming up soon. So, okay, I want to turn to a brighter aspect of autistic culture that Apple demonstrates for us. Um, and this is our monotropism magic. Um, so obviously, I've told you Steve Jobs got into color theory. <laughs> he got <laughs> into industrial design. Um, Uh, He got into the world of uh, comfort fashion. But as you may or may not know, he also got into Buddhism. In 1974, he went to India, studied with one of the yogis. Actually, I think the yogi who worked with the Beatles died right before he arrived. Oh, wow. But he was very into Buddhism his whole life. And what he was interested in, one of the things that he studied was the concept of emptiness. So sometimes you'll hear in Buddhism, make your mind like an empty rice bowl. Oh, wow. And the idea of being able to empty out, right? And he would study it. He meditated. He loved the science um, of Zen Buddhism. And what he did, obviously, you know, another area, special interest for him was computers. So what he did was he took the computer, the way it existed in the 1970s, the big server rooms full of machines, 
and he matched it with Buddhism. So he Ooh. put together these two ideas. Why would Buddhism have anything to do with computers? And he made something new, something cosmically clean, an avatar of the new. All these concepts that he got from Zen Buddhism, which led to the iPod and the tablet, now the iPad, came out of him mixing his two special interests. That's neat. Fun, right? We make thought babies. Who would put those two things together? Oh, that's fantastic. I really, really like that. So um, he, in his eulogy, he had a friend who was one of his Buddhist friends. And this is what he said at his eulogy. Steve believed that there was a gravity, almost a civic responsibility to care way beyond any sense of functional imperative. And there it is. Wow. It's computers plus Buddhism. It's a civic responsibility. And he would spend months and months perfecting parts of Apple's machines that most users would never see with their eyes. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make the whole system work because that's how our brains work. Mm hmm. So this out of the box thinking um, and I wonder, you know, like even with kids, like maybe you get really into snakes and then you get really (laughs) into Ghostbusters and then you make a fan fiction of snake Ghostbusters. The this out of the box thinking when you go really deep on one topic can lead to brand new ideas that society has not thought of. Yes, exactly. I love that. So I want to and and actually another example of that, too, is obviously Steve Jobs wasn't thinking of working with kids with uh, receptive and expressive language delays or disabilities. But even touchscreens that came out of this Zen Buddhist philosophy have been a game changer for the autistic communities in creating assisted devices that help shape our culture and get more ideas out there. And so even more ways he has, Apple has contributed to autistic culture. Because that's the thing. The touchscreen has no buttons. It's a touchscreen. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's good, wonderful. Right? Oh, very nice. Okay, so oh. I want to I want to I'm going to get you off your PC now. I can <laughs> I can feel it happening. Um so I want to end with I think one of Steve Jobs' greatest contributions to the culture at large, which is his Think Different campaign. And I want to play, do you obviously know this, yes? Oh, of course. Okay, cool. So I want to play this for you. And I, so I want to play this for you. Uh, if you're watching the video feed, we will also put it into the video feed and then we will talk about it. So, okay, here we go. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. 
They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. There it is. Apple, think different. Do you remember seeing that in your, like, I, do, do you remember seeing it when it came out in the 80s or whatever? I do. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, I I was a fan of Buckminster Fuller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and seeing the Buckyball and everything, that that was, a, 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 again, a... a, a, a the spin back in the day. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I really, really admire innovation. I really, really admire divergent thinking because divergent thinking progresses us as a species. Uh, I, again, no one ever, uh, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. And I, I think that we need divergent thinkers. I think that we need this alternative perspective on things in order to continue progressing. So I remember watching that commercial. I think I saw it on MTV. And I remember knowing that was me. Maybe not every person, like I'm not saying everyone featured in that ad is autistic, but the culture of here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and square holes. Oh. I was like, that that's me. That's yes. me. And I, um, you know, great minds think different. I think the reason why I embrace that as one of our taglines is um, the ones crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And yeah. when we see autistic culture for what it is, there's more people who will have the accessibility to say, hey, I'm going to take my divergent thinking and put it out in the world and not trying to squash my round peg into this square hole. Yes, absolutely. So that is, that's my wish. And that is my argument, Matt. Apple is autistic, led by Steve Jobs. Maybe a person uh, with Asperger's, uh, maybe somebody who is part of, uh, well, definitely someone I would say who is part of our culture, even though we can't diagnose him, and just a beautiful example of how autistic culture and contribution changes the world. So I know you're a PC guy, but what do you say? Are you feeling the Apple love today? I, I feel it. I feel the vibe. I, I love the, I, I, I love the innovation where the lack of buttons revolutionize the world with touch screens. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. That's magnificent. That's cool. So final thought on this episode. Tell us something spectacular you experienced this week as a citizen of Autistica. Matt, what's something you love about being autistic this week? I met an autistic anthropologist and we Ooh. got to talk about autism from a cultural perspective 
And God, it was fun. Wait, we need to get this autistic anthropologist on this show. Indeed. Yeah. Because again, coming at a, 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 nat- a person who is naturally, a, a person from a very early age who wanted to study people and how people behaved and who would interview children on the playground as to say, why are you doing what you're doing? progressed into a career of professionally studying people. And now, uh, again, with autistic culture, where we do the same thing, because this is our natural tendency. We, we explore, we, we learn, we take in data. This is the way of our people. And it's just, it's fantastic to know that it, this is just our innate way of being as uh, being innovators and data seekers. And, trying to understand the world and make it a better place. It's so cool. I, I get so hyped whenever I meet new people who love to learn new things. And just this mutual info dumping, this mutual uh, ability to exchange our research. It, it's, it's a conference every time we meet another one of our people. It is. And, oh, <laughs> it hypes me up so much. We are walking seminars. So welcome to our seminar. Thanks for spending time with us here at Autistica. And we'll see you again for our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. You can find out more about writing your book with Angela at www.differencepress.com. That's www.difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S, dot com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with Matt at www.mattlowerylpp.com. That's www.matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, Licensed Psychological Practitioner. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, great minds think different.